All right, time to invite the kids to come on up front. Even if you're visiting today, you can come on up. If you're about fifth grade or so and under, you can come on up, find a spot to sit. Feel free to bring somebody with you if you'd like. All right, keep coming, guys. Good. All right, good to see everyone. Uh, Ruth, would you come up and stand right here for me for a second, please? All right. So she's going to be my volunteer today. So I have a treat for you right here, but you don't get it quite yet, okay? So you just hang out there, and you wait until I give it to you, okay? Sound good? We'll see. Okay. So what does she need in order to wait for this treat? Patience. Yeah, we've been talking about that already this morning. She needs some patience, right? Okay, now let's think back to uh, Genesis. We, oh, no, peeking. All right, let's think back to Genesis. We've been learning uh, about the flood, right? That's what we've been hearing about. And God was going to bring the flood as a judgment on the earth, right? And so Noah built the ark in faith, believing what God had said, right? And then Noah went into the ark, as God told him to, and God brought two of every kind of animal into the ark, right? And then God shut them in, and God brought the waters, all the flood over the whole earth, right? Remember hearing about that last week? All right, so today we're going to read in God's Word about how long the waters stayed until the earth dried up and it could sustain the people from the animals and things. Anyone know how long that was? Well, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. How long were the waters? How long was Noah in the ark? Pastor Jeremy said it earlier. Yeah, a year, just over a year, right? About that time. That's a long time, right? Now, imagine if you were in the ark with all these animals for over a year. That's a long time, isn't it? What do you think Noah needed during this time in order to stay in the ark as God asked him to? He needed patience too, didn't he? Similar to how... Ruth needs patience before getting this treat, right? So, Ruth, you can come back in a year, and then maybe the treat will be ready for you. Does that sound good? No, I'm just teasing. It won't take that long, all right? All right. But she needs patience, right? And Noah, because Noah didn't know the exact timing, right, of when God would say it's time to go out of the ark, just like Ruth doesn't know the exact timing of when I'm going to give her a treat. It might be right now, or she might have to wait a year, right? She might have to wait a while. All right. Now think with me for a bit. What does it take to have patience? Right? Okay, this takes some some thought. What does it take to have patience? In order to have patience, you need faith, don't you? Yeah, you need faith. Because Ruth can have patience because she has faith that I'm actually going to give her this treat that I told her I was going to give her, right? If she didn't have faith in me, she might just leave or, you know, walk off because she's not it doesn't have patience in. So she has to have some faith in me. And Noah had patience because he had tremendous faith in God, that God would follow through on what he said. So it takes faith. So how about for each of us? We need faith to have patience too, don't we? We are to be patient with one another, but that takes faith to believe that God desires for us to have good relationships with each other, right? We are to be patient in all of the circumstances of life. But that takes faith to trust that God will work all things for good. 
We're to be patient and wait for Jesus to return and make all things new. But that takes faith to trust in God's Word that Jesus will return and that He will make all things right. And so Noah needed patience that could only come from his faith in God. And we need to have great faith in God too, trusting Him so that we can have patience in all of our lives as well. So has Ruth been pretty patient waiting for her tree? She has. She's done, she hasn't grabbed for it, right? She hasn't left. So I think it's time to give her a tree. What do you think? All right, so that's for you. You can show everyone if you want, or you can keep it a secret. It's up to you. Oh, she's going to keep it a secret. All right, uh, that's her decision. All right, thanks for coming up, guys. Pastor Jeremy's going to come and preach now. Thanks. Does Ruth have a sucker in her mouth that whole time? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, All right, uh, one announcement before we get into Genesis 8. Um, The missions team heard, I don't know, a couple, two, three days ago. I don't know what the date is. Okay. Uh, From the brunches, one of the difficulties they faced in coming back from the States has been financial. And the most acute need because of that is for vehicles. Um, They had an accident a bit ago, and that car isn't working, and then the Johnsons gave them a minivan, and because of our wonderful government laws about um, emissions, as of August 1st, that vehicle is deemed no longer able to be driven. Um, uh, And so they're going to be basically vehicleless in a few days. And so the missions team has a part of their budget, a line item for missionary care, which they're using and going to give that to them. But we want to take this before you. We just got, the elders just got this yesterday. And so what we're going to do this morning is just say, any of you take this before the Lord in prayer and see if you can do something. Um, I think the proper channel would be church office, me, or Nikki, we can tell you how to get the funds. I think you could probably write it to Pine Grove, too, and we could send a check. That'd be also be an, an option. Or if you got a vehicle that could pass Pennsylvania emission, whatever, um, that could be helpful. And so if this is of interest, you could talk to me, you could contact the church office, you could talk to Nikki. I think that'd probably be the easiest way to go about it right now. And so please take that before the Lord, if you would. Since I wanted to draw that attention to that. Okay, let's um, go to Genesis chapter 8, if you would. Uh, We're in verses 1 to 19 this morning. We are going to be talking a lot about patience. And I can't help it, but I just have that, I think it's um, Guns N' Roses' patience song in my head all week long because I'm thinking about patience and I can't get it out. Um, Ugh. Anyways, um, I don't know about you, but impatience is a problem with me. I get impatient with my kids. I get impatient on waiting and things. Impatience is an issue. Um, and that is especially true when we're in trouble, when we have trials, sufferings. We wonder if God has abandoned us. We wonder if this will ever end. We wonder if we does only deserve this. And so patience is an issue. And we'll see this in Genesis 8. Um, because of God's judgment, Noah had to be patient. So let's read the text and pray and take a look at this. 
But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the, mountain, and the waters continued to abate until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. At the end of the 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and so she returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return him anymore. In the the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from the, off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with, that is with you of all the flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Let's pray. Father, what you do is beyond us. Your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts far above our thoughts. And so, God, give us faith now to receive your word. Help us to learn from it. Uh, Help us to love it. Give us ears to hear and hearts to receive that we might live in accordance with it and bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So our text is about waiting. It's about God's providence. It's even about a new creation. And uh, though it might seem strange, there's also something about baptism in here. So we'll see that. All of these things are found in Genesis 8, where we read of the flood ending and Noah and Noah's family and all the animals being led out from the ark. We read in chapter 7, verse 11, that the flood waters began in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, that on that day... All the fountains burst forth, the windows of heavens were opened. And now in 8.13, we read that in the 601st year, in the first month of the first day, and then in verse 14, in the second month, in the 27th day, so again, this is over a year later. I remember mentioning that last week, and some of you gave me a quizzical look like, year, what are you talking about? I was right. And uh, so there it is. A year, a year later, if you can imagine that. Uh, and because, uh, how many of you grew up going to Sunday school? 
Any of you? So a bunch of you. How many of you read kind of children's Bible story books with cool pictures and so forth with your kids or grandkids? Some of you do that. Um, does Noah's Ark contain a whole bunch of dead bodies all over the place? Right? When you do the flannel graph of Noah's Ark, it's bright and sunny and all the animals have their heads sticking out of the ark and they're all happy and cheery and so forth. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, uh, this wasn't that happy. Uh, this was pretty awful. Um, this was judgment on the earth where everything died but eight human beings and any animals on the ark. And this was not cheery. It was very, very, very horrific, um, difficult. And Noah endured a year of that on that ark. And so in that year, God had passed awful judgment on the wickedness of man, drowning, and then, if you're willing to think about it, even judging and sending to hell, all but Noah and his family. This is the terrible judgment of God in this passage. I don't think there's anything I need to add to it. It's that bad. It's that hard. And so we are not only to learn patience from this text, but how to fear God. Um, we've sung this morning that our God does not change. He is the same. And this is our God. Now, a year later... God mercifully causes a wind to pass over the face of the earth. He clamps off the fountains of the deep. He sovereignly and powerfully restrains the torrent from the sky and dries out the earth. Noah, with incredible patience, does not leave the ark until God speaks in verse 16, go out from the ark. And so Noah opens the door all the animals brought out, Noah with his wife and sons and their wives leave, and we begin really here a second creation, a new creation. And so we see in microcosm in these 19 passages really the story of the world from beginning to end. It begins in creation. Um, we have this period where we live between the fall and the new creation that are filled with judgments of God, big and small, that teach us to fear God and to turn to Him, that the world then ends with a final cataclysmic apocalyptic judgment after which God's people are led out to live with Him in a new creation. And so Genesis 1 to 19 is the Bible in 19 verses if you want to look at it like that. So if you want to know what the Bible's about, here it is. Creation, fall, God's judgment, but grace and salvation to God's people, after which there's a final and full judgment, after which God's people live with God on a new creation. So here we have God's word in some in 19 verses. And so I really want to encourage you to read the Bible. I want to encourage you to read the Bible looking for these things. I want to urge you to be in God's word regularly, nourishing yourself in the truth of who God is and what he's doing and what he's done in history and what he promises to do to nourish and strengthen yourself. We as Christians are useful to other believers as we can bring God's word to bear in their lives. 
That's what we want to be for each other. We want to be helpful to each other. We want to be an asset to each other. And one way we can do so is by learning and growing in God's Word. So many times Christians come to me and say, I just want to know God's Word better. I just want to know God's Word better. And one of the ways we see our impatience is that we want to know God's Word right now. But we don't realize it takes years and years of reading faithfully God's Word, little by little, little by little. And then after five, ten years of doing that, you know God's Word better. And you can be an asset and a help to people as they're going through things. You can bring God's word because you know it to them. And so here in 19 verses, we see the entire Bible. And it reminds us, let's read this thing. As I said, though, in verse 1, we read this rather strange statement about God. And God remembered. It's strange because the English word remembered isn't able to contain all that this word in the Hebrew actually is. This word has nothing to do with forgetting, right? Uh, It has more to do with Psalm 1, let's say. God knows the way of the righteous. God's eyes have always been on Noah. You can see that God has sovereignly kept Noah safe and secure through this awful judgment. Noah was in a big, huge, rudderless, motorless vessel that uh, could have shipwrecked at any point if it wouldn't have been for God's staying hand. And so when it says God remembered, this isn't God forgotten and now. It is, this is communicating to God's people that God is paying attention. God has a special attention to his elect, to his people. And that in his time, when he is determined from of old to do what he's going to do, he's going to come and do it. And almost invariably in the Bible, when he's about to do something spectacular to save his people, we'll see, read that God remembered or God heard. Think of Exodus. God's people are groaning under slavery. And what did it say? And God heard and God remembered. It wasn't that he was deaf for a long time or it wasn't that he had forgotten. It's telling his people again what is always true. The eyes of the Lord are on his people. You have your Lord's attention. He does not neglect you. He has not forgotten you. He is observant over you. His arm is not too short to save you. His heart is not hard towards you. God is doing exactly what he wants done in your life right now. And he will deliver according to his plan in his timing for your greatest good. That's what this word remembered means. That's what this word remembered means. And of course, you and I are so prone to forget this, aren't we? Especially when we're in trouble. We imagine when we suffer or when someone else suffers that God has forgotten us. That God has forgotten you. You think God distant you think God deaf to your pleas. You think he doesn't care. You probably don't doubt his power. You just doubt his willingness. Me too. Me too. We languish in illness. We are treated unjustly. We encounter financial difficulty. Sin is committed against us. 
We feel like people aren't listening to us. You as a young person just want your parents to understand you. You even become convinced that God doesn't care. One of the reasons I want Pine Grove to learn to sing the Psalms is because we have to learn how to complain to God. And over and over and over in the book of Psalms, you see God's people crying out, How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? How long will my honor be turned to shame? Psalm 4. I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord. My bones are troubled. My soul is greatly troubled. O Lord, how long? Psalm 6. How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day long? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from destruction, my precious life from the lions. Psalm 35. How long, O God, is the foe to scoff? Is the enemy to revile your name forever? Psalm 74. How long, O Lord, will you be angry with me forever? That's Psalm 79. And lastly, Psalm 89. How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself from me forever? Is it Christian to say those things? Do you have faith to look your God and, and with your fist cry out, How long? See, sometimes we think it's, we need to be more spiritual than the Bible. We can fail by not doing what the Bible says. We can also fail by thinking we need to be better than what the Bible tells us to be. We need to learn this language of crying out to God. How long, O oh Lord? How long will you let little babies be ripped from their mother's wombs and do nothing? How long will you continue to let our government oppress the poor, taking taxes from one and giving it? How long, oh Lord? How long will cancer ravage my body? How long? How long? How long? But God hears Noah. God knows Noah. God is attentive to Noah. God has providentially supplied everything that Noah needed from beginning to end in this. Do you have faith to believe that for you? And for your family? And for our church? And for our city? And for our world? What can you and I do but wait on our God? What else are you going to do? It's his timing, 
It's not yours. He is wisdom. is infinitely greater than ours. The Bible says that the foolishness of God in sending his son to die on the cross is infinitely greater than the greatest wisdom of man. What he is doing in your life is perfect. It's not plan B. Right? It isn't trying to figure it out along the way. He is doing precisely what is the greatest and best for your highest eternal good right now and always. And what he requires of you in whatever season is you're in, it's just simply to wait on him, crying out, how long? That's what he requires of you. Isn't he merciful? He doesn't require superhuman, never troubled, never doubting, never crying. He requires you to be a fallen lamb. So, dear brothers and sisters, wait on the Lord. Be content in your sorrow, in the injustice, in the confusion, in the loss, in the pain, in the sorrow, in the lean times. Because what does Noah get at the end of it? He gets God. That's it. That's it. That's all he gets. New creation with his creator. That's what you're waiting for. That's why God has saved you through the blood and cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ so that you could have him. That's why he's bringing you into whatever season you're in, through whatever season you're in, so that you can believe that the one thing that you need and want Above and beyond everything else is God. Not more of this, not less of that, not this person to do that, not this raise to be given, not my spouse to try to do this, not blah, blah, just God. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul mind and strength. We as believers need to know that the one thing God is doing in your life is teaching you to be content and satisfied with God. That's it. That's it. You can have patience for that, right? If you get God at the end, it's enough that's it. That's it. That's it. I kind of just want to say amen and be done, but I don't. I want you to get your money's worth, so we'll keep going here. Um, a dove. Noah first sends out a raven and then a dove. I don't want you to make too much of the raven and dove thing. Two different birds. I don't know. Um, but the dove throughout Scripture is important. 
we see Noah sends out a dove. The dove returns two times, second with a sprig from an olive tree. The third time, the dove does not return. It isn't by accident that in all the four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Holy Spirit descends on the Lord Jesus at his baptism like a dove. A dove is, throughout the Bible, a reminder of God's presence. I think it's always reflecting back on this. I think it's reflecting back on this. Jesus Christ, to fulfill all righteousness, went into the waters of baptism, though he had never sinned. And he came back out of the troubled, deadly waters. And the first thing greeting him was, God, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Form of a dove, voice from heaven, reminding us that God is the kind of God who brings his people into death and then back out. Isn't it wonderful that God has created a world and filled it? Filled it. Packed it full like your kid's toy box with reminders of God. Every morning, if you are attentive, you can hear morning doves cooing. God's present. He's near. We sang it this morning. You can be reminded of God's faithfulness and every day the sun rises. Our world is packed with things that you can see and noises that you can hear and tastes that you can taste and sensations that you can touch and things that you can feel to remind you of biblical truth of God. If we're only attentive, if we only have eyes to see the wonders of God's creation, if we can slow down for just a minute and forget about things and just look at a black squirrel, and think about the wonders of God in that creation. And so here, reminded in a dove, a simple little insignificant bird that God is near. That God is near. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, if you can turn there with me. 1 Peter is way at the back of your Bible. It's just before the end, just a few books before the end. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 20 to uh, 22, uh, the Apostle Peter, who is an eyewitness of the resurrection, likens the ordeal of Noah to baptism. Um, Baptism, Peter writes, corresponds to this in verse 21. This makes you go back to verse 20, which is God's patience in the day of Noah while an ark was being prepared. God was patient with Noah and his family, waiting for a hundred years, staying his wrath so that the ark could be prepared through which Noah and his family would be saved. And, and then Peter says that corresponds to baptism. That corresponds to baptism. And then he tells us the gospel. Baptism now saves you, not saves you like Christ's death and resurrection saves you, but saves you as 
as an appeal to God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So baptism is corresponds to this gospel. Somehow in the, in the ark, we see something about our Christian life, which is about the gospel. So the ark is about the gospel. Jesus died and he rose. He's gone into heaven. He's at the right hand of God. Everything's been subjected to him. Noah went through the waters of baptism. He went into a tomb. That's a proper description of the ark. It's not a cruise ship. It's a tomb. The door was closed and he was sealed in for a year. He died. Figuratively. He, he experienced death. And then he was raised from the death. Jesus Christ died. He went into a tomb. The door was sealed. Three days later, he rose from the dead, ascended to heaven where he reigns. Every Christian believer goes under the waters, the same waters, signifying that we have died. We are dead. We're dead to what we once were. We're dead to the longings and passions and desires that we once had. We're dead to this world and its ways. And then we're raised to new life. Again, the gospel isn't just kind of getting you a little better, but it's still you. The gospel is you die and then you're raised. The gospel is total renovation. Where we get cleansing from sin, removal of the power of sin over us in brand new life. And Noah, at the end of it, walked out into a new creation. The floodwaters had cleansed it of everything. New life was sprouting again. This reminds us again that we are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. Christians should never say, I can't help it. Christians should never say, I'm just human. We're new creations in Christ. Do we deny the power of the resurrection to change us? And so this gospel hope leads to patience. This great gospel hope of our death, burial, and resurrection and future hope of Christ's second coming should lead to patience. And I mean that in very practical ways. Where, as a husband, are you tempted to be impatient with your wife? How does the gospel change your relationship to your dear wife? We have people in our church taking care of sick loved ones. There is great temptation towards impatience there. Of course, we have lots of precious little ones here, and you as parents know the great temptation towards impatience with your children. Doesn't the gospel lead you to be patient with your little child who is wrestling with the sins that he or she got from you? And you're just looking into a mirror and you're so impatient. Or with the church. 
with your brothers and sisters here, the leadership here? Or are you tempted towards impatient and griping and whining? Or at work, wherever. And look at Noah. He knew God's promises. He banked his hope in the salvation of God. He did not step foot outside the ark until God said to. And God blesses him, doesn't he? What does Noah receive as a reward for his patience? New creation. <laughs> He's Lord of the earth. He's the next Adam. And so, brothers and sisters, let's consider the problem of hastiness in our lives, of spirit of demandedness, discontentment. Let's be patient. Wait on God who has done this for us. Done this for us. Because at the end of it is a new creation. That's the very end of it. Behold, I am coming soon. At the end of this world is dwelling with God on this world without sin, without enmity, without anything that we experience now in joy and peace and delight forever. That's it. That's it. And I heard a loud voice on the road saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That's the end of the story. You and I, together with all the saints from all time, Noah and his family included, dwelling with God on a remade earth. Amen? What can't you endure? Who cares about everything else? That's the end. We have victory. That's it. Let's pray. God, please give us your grace to await that day with patience. You have been so incredibly patient with us in this world. We thank you for it. We thank you for the victory we have in your son. We thank you that not only are we sure to victory in this life, but in the next, that we will dwell with you forever. May we await that day patiently. Teach us, God, that kind of faith. Help us to glorify you in waiting for you. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. The charge is this. Uh, be patient with each other. Be patient in your marriage. Siblings, be patient with each other. Be, be patient this week in the Lord. Ask God for the grace to be patient.
Now may God fill you with all knowledge of his will in his word, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you might walk in a manner worthy of him. Be pleasing to him, bear fruit in every good work, increase in the knowledge of God. May God strengthen you with his power, in accord with his glorious might, for the attaining of steadfastness and patience. And may God give you joy in giving him all the thanks, because he has qualified you in his Son to share in the coming inheritance in his saints. And amen. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord. I love you.